My name is James Hansen. I'm the group publisher of Federal and Technology Markets at GovExec. It is my great pleasure to be here today with Dan Kuntz, who is currently the Mission Account Manager at ServiceNow. Dan, thanks for joining me. I'd love for you if you could just introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about your work to get us started. James, thanks so much. As James mentioned, my name is Dan Coons. I work for ServiceNow as a Mission Account Manager for the United States Army business. I have a really exciting role in ServiceNow. It's a very exciting company. Um, we get to be the center of enterprise modernization and digital transformation for an organization that I hold near and dear, which is the United States Army. Uh, I have served for, for quite a few years in both the Guard, Reserves, and Active Duty. So I come to this with a soldier's perspective as well as a corporate perspective uh, trying to improve Army modernization from a place of good. Well, thank you, uh, Dan, for your service and uh, the service of ServiceNow and its commitment to uh, accelerating innovation and military readiness across the Army and broader Department of Defense, which is what we're here to discuss today. So let's dive into that a little further. The Army has announced that people are the number one priority. What does prioritizing people mean to you? That's a really important question and a really important definition. Um, I think it's the most important question that we ask because the United States Army in 2021 to 2035 to 2045 is going to be competing in battle spaces that we've never competed before in. We have to win in battle spaces that we've never competed in one before in. And we don't even know the threats or challenges that are going to pose a, pose a problem for us over the next 25 to 50 years. And in doing so, we absolutely have to have the best people serving in our United States Army. And those people have to be equipped with the tools, the foundation and the policies that allow them to serve, continue their service and retire as soldiers and then help the United States Army uh, in their post career. So what's really, really important about prioritizing people and what I think we are trying to convey is we need to win, we're in a battle for talent and that talent's gonna work where they wanna work. And there's, there's that talent needs the tools to be successful wherever they're working at. And so when I think of people, and certainly our U.S. military servicemen and servicewomen, I also think about their families. So how does uh, improving that overall focus on people also support the quality of a soldier, sailor, airman, uh, and their families? And, and how does that result in, as you indicated, you know, a better ready uh, military? Yeah, I take this question personally, too. Uh, I, my wife is... Uh, my wife and I have been together for quite a while. Uh, we grew up together. She has had she has become friends with my other uh, friends who have military spouses, and um, I think what it means is that you've got a happy a happy life life, and you've got a happy environment to raise your kids in. You've got a happy way to do your work. You can expect the army to deliver you housing. You can expect the army to give you these sorts of tools that you expect in your civilian life that keeps the family committed to the army. And it isn't just, and, and you can't serve in the army if, you're, if your wife or your husband or your kids or your extended family, or whatever your caretaking network is, isn't also feeling like they're supporting the United States Army. There's just too many demands and requirements to come to our soldiers. The 1% of Americans that are able to serve in the Department of Defense for whatever reason that is, have faced an incredible burden over the last 20 years, both positive and negative, but as it relates to the rotational tempo and the op tempo, you've got to come home. You've got to know that you're in a comfortable environment, that your needs are being met, and that the Army takes care of you. 
uh, spouses have to know that too, because there's a lot of time when a husband or a wife is in a field exercise or on a rotation someplace, or their tempo has to be met, where they need to know that there's tools available for them to be able to access, that people are gonna take care of them quickly, and they don't have to worry about certain things when, when their spouse is at home. It's so incredibly important to make sure that quality of life isn't just accounted for from a soldier from where they work at, but also from the family and how they're being taken care of by our United States Army. And so how does that uh, contribute uh, to accelerating, improving, operationalizing overall military readiness? How, do we, how does that quality transition from home to the battle space? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think in my first question, I mentioned that we're in a battle for talent, that we want to keep the best people available. And there's this, there's this zenith, I suppose, or this place within your military career at around 10 to 12 years, where you're starting to make questions and you're starting to ask questions around, how do I build my family? And how do, what do I do with the remainder of my career? And you're kind of this, this eclipse between, do I stay in and make it 20? Do I stay in and make it 12? Do I stay in and make it eight? However many years we're in. And if we aren't keeping the very best talent who has options, not only in the army, but outside of the army. And we aren't keeping spouses and, and families engaged in the army community. They're gonna leave for better options or better, a better opportunity to take care of their family. They're gonna follow a rational human behavior to go do those sorts of things. Those things are only gonna be compounded when we go to the blended retirement system, where there isn't necessarily the impetus to have to stay 20 years. We need to create environments where people can continue to serve, serve in ways that they have to, keep their uniform on so that when we need them, they can call them. And most importantly, it is always, always, always about the best people and the best culture. That is what wins wars. That is what wins profitability. It's what re wins revenue. It's always what wins. And we need to keep the best people engaged in our United States Army. And so the Army has a uh, modernization strategy uh, in place that is uh, operating and working against. What is the long pole in the tent for the Army when it comes to modernizing processes to achieve essentially what you've just laid out? There are always ways that you consider how do you do modernization. There's It's a people problem. It's a process problem. It's a technology problem. I think what what encompasses all of those things, and I guess you can lean more tightly towards the people, is the culture, um, the culture of the organization and the culture of modernization and what does that mean? And so I always, I always say, if any of the first few minutes of this conversation have met anything, people are the driving force and what we, what we should expect and how we're going to go fight and win and how we're going to show up and how we're going to do our jobs. So culture is the most important part of it. And I think their culture has to ask the question, why is this acceptable? Or why is this unacceptable? Or why do I have to live this way? And so the culture says, if I can do something in my civilian life on a cell phone or a laptop or in any sort of way, I can live my life on my cell phone. Why can't I live as good of a life when I'm serving the United States military? We are the most powerful nation in the world. We have the capability to do it. So the question becomes, why can't we? And when you start to ask the question, why can't we? The people, the process, the technology starts to mirror the vision for the future that we have to have. The future that we need to have is built around people, tools that enable them, and systems that complement what how, how humans work. And so with that, what are the technical challenges that enable? <clears throat> yeah, that's, another, that's obviously the next follow-on question. 
So you and I both know, and we all know, that the United States Army, the Department of Defense, and the federal government have been providing technology systems, services, processes for the last 30 to 50 years. And those systems have all been built on legacy technology or legacy systems. I'm not even sure I love the expression legacy anymore because it's just we, we built the thing that we could with the time we could to deliver the value that we had to when we had to. So it's just, it was a system that we built to solve a need at the time we had to solve it. Those systems never were never intended to meet a modern digital world where data is a currency and people can live and work wherever they need to and cloud computing exists and all these other extremely um, modern, adaptable, easy to access, flexible technologies existed. So what we need to do and where I, why I believe what I believe and why I work where I work is that we need to figure out a way to bring all these siloed and functional technologies together, call them into a single common operating model, single common operating picture, and then deliver value on top of that. I don't see a way that you can rip and replace or you can sunset a technology or you can do anything until you've made up the underlying parts of that technology, which are data security, data structure, data management, and workflow processes. They're the four things that essentially create enterprise systems. And so it's how do we manage data? And how do we, how do we move data in a useful way in a form of a workflow? That's, that's really what it comes down to. We can overcomplicate things by talking about uh, different contracts and the way that we have to replace the acquisition process. That's all true. But what we really need is a vision of modernization that says, we don't need to do this anymore. We did the best we could when we could do it. And now let's move forward with better technology that supports the fam soldier, their family, and the, and the taxpayers the best way. And so, as you noted, it is complex. The Army is the largest uh, agency in the government, uh, and there's lots of different systems. So what's the first step in doing that? Uh, what's the first step to enabling data as a strategic asset from uh you know, removing a legacy system and moving to what you had just laid out? That's a great, a very, that's the, that's the best question. The first step is leadership, vision and leadership. The very first step is vision and leadership. We can talk about the technical implications of that, but vision and leadership. And I was so proud to see and happy to see that the Army, the Army created an organization called the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency, the ECMA. And ECMA is, is led by a great leader with a vision. And that vision is we need to create an operating model that provides cloud infrastructure to support the enterprise. Once you have infrastructure that's enterprise grade, standardized and provides continuity across mission areas and business systems, you have now had the opportunity to start creating enterprise value. The next step after you've created the information infrastructure, which is really important, is starting to recognize, hey, what systems or what applications can we rehost or replatform on cloud infrastructure to take, take advantage of the, the take advantage of the benefits of cloud computing? Those benefits are agility, time to market, reduction of costs if you do it the right way. If you don't do it the right way, you're still gonna reduce costs using your entire legacy systems. And then from there, you start to, hey, you know, what does our portfolio look like? And what are the new, what are the new values that we need to deliver? And cloud computing makes a lot of that capable. So the United States Army through the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency and the CIO G6 organization with Dr. Iyer have done extremely, extremely 
important first steps in creating an army modernization army modernization strategy based on a common operating model. And that's really the first step, and they've done a great job of it. Now we just need to accelerate that and make sure that we actually win there. And what does that mean? So obviously we've had we have the great power competition that is ongoing with China and Russia. We've had the situation that's happened in Afghanistan over the past two weeks. What does all this mean for global operations? Uh, that's my other favorite, one of my other favorite questions, because you have to think about everything through the prism of resources, people and resources. And so when we think about the population of China, we think about the population of Russia, or we think about the military serving and with they're serving, and we think about the advent of cyber, cyber challenges and space challenges and all the other operational environments that we have, we just don't have the people to be able to compete at a global stage in multiple theaters. You just look at the math. People are gonna need to be supported by technology and machines and data to be able to amplify their effect across a theater. And if we're using all of our people to maintain existing technology systems, or if we're using all of our people to support technology systems that need 10 people when modern technology needs one person, maybe, or a half a person, if they're gonna be, however they're gonna do that, it's split time between systems. We need to reduce our reliance on people in systems that should be automated and increase our reliance on people where it matters the most, which is winning where they have to win at the time that they have to win to be decisive in that operation. And so we need to get, we need to get our people out of the business of maintaining operations or running current existing programs and deliver them at the point of value that they need to be valued at. That I believe is the only way that we can compete globally at scale, multiple theaters and different threat environments that we see. So as we're, we're coming up on our time, the last question, um, Dan, and you kind of talked about acquisition earlier, but let's talk about budget and finances, which is always a challenge uh, in, in government. What does it mean for the Army's budget and how can it position itself in the future, making smart investments that deliver, you know, emerging technologies, future capacity and capability for soldiers, our nation, taxpayers? Yeah, so that's the that's the that's the really probably a long pole in the tent. If you go back to the different questions that we asked, how do we pay for all this stuff? What does that look like from a budget perspective, and why why should we prioritize this? Well, if you believe, like I believe, that data is a currency and systems are a weapon, then you have to start to recognize that those sorts of things are where you should be prioritizing investment. We can talk about any platform you want, any weapon system platform you want in the world. The currency that they're gonna be running on is data. And if we can't collect data, massive amounts of data, if we don't know how to synthesize that data, if we don't know where that data goes, or we know where resources are going in the first place, we're gonna miss a golden opportunity to win when we have to. When we think about the current events in Afghanistan, I don't know how you run an operation globally at that speed and pace in multiple places, without having data outside of spreadsheets to be able to deliver you the value of the time you have to be able to value that. There is not enough people in the world that can run multiple aggregated spreadsheets together that can do more than an algorithmic data environment can do to be able to give you the place where you need to be for those resources, supplies, humans, and again, essentially that target matter. So the question is around budget. And you, I think it's a reframing of what budget means. Budget means that we put things in priority. And that priority, in my opinion, has to be your information infrastructure. If it's not your information infrastructure, it's also going to be your people. 
So the two things that have to take priority, information infrastructure and your people. And then for the taxpayers, they should feel good at night knowing that we've got the infrastructure in place with the right people to go do their bidding for them when they need to go do the bidding for them. Because it is incredibly, incredibly important that our people feel supported, that they've got the tools that they need to have, that they need to have to win, and that we're winning when we have to. It's the only way we can, that's the only way we're gonna exist. No, I 100% agree. That's that's fantastic. Unfortunately, Dan, we're out of time. Our audience, we're out of time. Uh, I just want to thank you again for sharing all of that, your experience, your expertise, your insights, uh, essentially on you know how the military can deliver enhanced data visibility and improve workflows uh, that drive readiness and human readiness uh, more than anything. And thank you again to ServiceNow for being the lead underwriter of our State of the Army program. If you want to learn more, please take some time to visit our resource center and we'll see you in the next session. Thanks, James.